ever-present pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later, the Homestar Army proudly presents Trek West 5, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and pretty much whatever else they want to talk about. Your hosts for Trek West 5 are Joey and Peter. Good evening and welcome to Podcast 186. I am Peter. And I am Joey. Um, has it been a full month? I think it has been. <laughs> it seems like a ridiculously long time. It seems like almost a year. <laughs> it's been a long couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, so as I mentioned in the email that went out, um, I was really busy with work. Joey had some family stuff come up. And everything was just, like, aligned so that when I was really busy, Joey was fine. Could have recorded. When Joey was doing family stuff, I was fine. Could have been recording. Just bad timing. Uh, But I'm pleased to say that we're back. Uh, One thing I've been thinking of, I meant to look this up. And now that we're talking, I remember I didn't look it up. Uh, And that is... When did we start recording Battlestar Galactica? <laughs> because I feel like this is the longest we've ever done. Well, I'll be honest. I have not been super pumped each week to record or to even watch the episodes most of the time. Uh, just you know that frustration that I feel sometimes. I don't feel like that's the reason, though. Okay. I don't feel like that's the reason. I- I'm saying I think there are weeks where I could have pressed you harder for us to record... And we probably would have done it. Oh, no. 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 I don't think so. Okay. I don't think I would have... Uh, no. Uh-uh. There was no room, huh? Uh-uh. I don't think so. <laughs> no. Um, anyway, it has been a long time, but we are almost done. We are just there at the end. Um, and that's exciting because we're... We'll be able to move on to something else. But more than that, I, I think we mentioned this before. want to tease it again. My friend John Madsen knows a guy who has the board game Battlestar Galactica that he is going to be able to get for us. And we're going to play this game. And we're going to record this. Definitely audio. I, I, I feel like we should try to do some sort of video. Sure, why not? But I don't know what the what all is entailed in doing that. Um, I'm not even sure if uh, people are going to be all that interested to watch something like that. But we're I'm interested in playing the game. I think it's going to be unique. One of the things John told me is um, it can literally take hours. <laughs> so the the fact that it could take hours kind of is a good thing. I've heard it can take hours just to set up to play. <laughs> um, I I feel like it, it, that won't be the case for us. That's just a feeling. Okay. But I, I don't feel like it'll be that way for us. Um, so that's going to happen. So we'll record this week. Then we'll rec- record next week, Podcast 187. And that's going to be the finale. That's going to be the last episodes. We'll do a season wrap-up, and then we'll do a series wrap-up. And then that'll be it for all of the episodes of, of Battlestar Galactica. We're not going to go on and do any of the other 
shorts or little online series that they've done. I'm sure they're interesting. I'm sure they're neat. Just we're done with Battlestar Galactica. Um, so look forward to that. Okay. Uh, now, the the next thing I want to bring up is we have been gone for a while. Has there anything interesting happened that you want to talk about oh, or share? So many interesting things have happened, but at least one of them I can't talk about for at least two more weeks. Right. And you've talked, you introduced this. Yes. A little bit. Ongoing, um, uh, not legislation. <laughs> What's the term I'm looking for? Well, it's just a continuance of an adventure in Republican. Yep. Um, that, uh, that will be, uh, fun to get to the bottom of and, and hear how everything went. Um, any, anything else that well, I went to uh, LTUE last week? Right, 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 right. Uh, I haven't yet got those audio files. I was only able to record with two people. Uh, I have not yet pre- prepped those audio files for posting. And as one a podcast. of them sounds incredibly unique. Yes, uh, I met with a woman named Kirsten Youngberg. Don't don't give it away. Okay, this is a tease. <laughs> Um, I was just going to mention that she is a, a photojournalist. Interesting life stories. Yes. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, you won't want to miss this, I'm sure. I haven't heard it, but I've heard, you know, Joey told me the story a little bit. Um, and, uh, wow, that that <laughs> should be interesting. Uh, matter of fact, the, the question you asked me was, do you think I should put this on? Do you think I should actually post this? Yeah. And I was like, dude. She totally knew what you were doing. You were holding a microphone right well, to her. So here, here's here's the thing. When I asked you that, I think you interpreted it as, "Am I? Do I have permission to post this?" Which I I would agree that I do. My concern is, I I just want to make sure that people who listen to it have some respect. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think uh, I think most of our listeners are going to be that type. They're not okay. uh, they're not a holes. <laughs> except for Good. except for the ones that aren't listening anymore, uh, you all are a holes. Okay, so yeah, we have that to look forward to. I would imagine. Are you going to try and post it in uh, as a filler sometime, or are you just going to put it out there whenever you get it put? Yeah, I, I, it'll probably be like a midweek podcast. Surprise. That's what you want to do with it. Okay, that's fine. Um, I wish I had something to really bring up and announce that really happened. Um, I don't have anything like that, but there are two things that I want to talk about. Okay. Plus, we've got some emails, some some past emails that we should probably read. Um, and, uh, hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm going to do one of the emails now. It's from my friend John Madsen. Uh, now, I don't think we've read this before. Um And uh, he says in his email, regarding At Midnight, short response, I never really gave At Midnight much of a chance. I wasn't super impressed with the one episode I saw, which disappointed me, because it seems like I was fond of that particular panel of guests. Perhaps a different panel would change my mind. I'm curious how the Weird Al episode went, which you were a fan of. I I super enjoyed that one. In fact, I would say... I up until that one, I was like, ah, I, see, I see why Pete likes it. I'm not sure if I'm entirely sold on it yet. And I watched the Weird Al one. And I was like, okay, I'm definitely gonna be watching this all the time now because there are those ones that you. They're just. If I had missed that Weird Al one, I would have regretted it. It was fantastic. The I will say this: 
I've watched a couple that I was disappointed in yeah. because I just I don't feel like the comics brought really <laughs> got into what this is about. Some of the stuff was funny. I chuckled obviously because it's a it's a comedy show. Um, but there are just some comedians that just rock the house. Yeah. Um, so anyway. Moving on, he continues, I may have had a bad taste in my mouth because I heard some of Chris Hardwick's actual stand-up not too long ago. He was bashing on religion, and for 5% of me was offended as a religious person. <laughs> but the other 95% of me was annoyed that he wasn't funny. I have no doubt that I'd appreciate the show more if I took time to watch it. So I'll do that someday. I don't really think there are bad concepts, but there are bad executions. It's not like every single joke on the show doesn't work just because of the show. Jokes are jokes. Sometimes they don't land, and sometimes, with random absurdity, they're even more effective than they should be. That being said, I'll always defend Comedy Bang Bang. Its meticulousness may be the opposite of raw live conversation. But there's a different energy to tap into. Let me sideline a bit by mentioning two movies that came out last year that provoked a lot of comparison to the other. This is the end and The World's End. Both are movies about the end of the world and both are comedies. Most people know I prefer This is the End, which is the one with more of a basis in riffing and personalities bouncing off of each other. It's got a very improv, uh, improvisational feel, but actually does a very good job of wrapping a few themes up at the end. I actually prefer The World's End, which, although a comedy, is very precise and deliberate. The act of making comedy as controlled as a complexly choreographed action movie is a welcome type of humor that doesn't occur as often as the rough riffing type but it does enable more of a singular vision of absurdity that has the capacity to go further and in the end is able to say more. Comedy Bang Bang plays a lot with this other more deliberate energy to build on itself. Often will take uh, yeah, often will take a comedy or television stereotype then tell a joke which is followed by a joke critiquing the first joke, which is then followed by a joke about our method for critiquing the, critiquing the joke in the first place. This type of humor can only be accomplished by examining all the avenues far in advance. Often, with humor, it takes us a while to fully realize exactly why we laugh at something, and the show is able to examine that. While... While often not mind-blowing satire, Comedy Bang Bang finds ways to squeeze out commentary a lot of different ways than riffing. The point is, I'm talking abstractly about comedy, and this is my least funny email ever. <laughs> More surprising than At Midnight and Comedy Bang Bang is Pete's stance on Scooby-Doo. Now that's a cartoon I started an early hate for. It really needed that laugh track. <laughs> <laughs> I was a kid, uh, and uh, yeah, you know, it's just, just nostalgia that uh, there wasn't much else on for me to choose from. And uh, he man, <laughs> not, not on a Saturday morning. 
What a what a odd part of the country you lived in, <laughs> dude. He Man was not on, and I don't have. I didn't have cable. Okay, I didn't have cable either. But He Man came on at five a.m. Saturday morning on NBC. Um. Okay. So, John, thank you very much for sending that in. Um. Good. Uh, good commentary on all of that. I appreciate that. Still, just doesn't work for me. But that's okay. That's you know I sure. I'm not their target audience. They move on. They find other people. That's that's more than okay. Um. Yes. And yet, if John doesn't find your thing funny, it's the end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see here. Oh, uh, quick email from uh, listener M. Hey dudes, I discovered a fun new game to play on Twitter. It's fun to block random people and report them as spam. You have no idea how satisfying to block and report Justin Bieber as spam. (laughs) So when I see tweets or retweets that I disagree with, that person is blocked. Later, listener M. Um, interesting. I feel like somehow you're breaking some internet rule somewhere. I don't know what it is. Um, so, yeah. Oh, anyway, good good right. email. Thank you. Um, okay. So here's a couple of the other things I wanted to talk about. Number one, we had a Brainy's Nook of Darkness where Brainy talked about a podcast called Welcome to Night Vale. Yes. Do you remember that? I remember that. Have you listened to it? I haven't yet. Okay. I have. Okay. I downloaded uh, a number of them. I've listened to 12. They're about 20-ish minutes, give or take. Um, and I quickly realized I was not going to like this podcast. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, the best way I could describe it um, is very... Douglas Adams-ish. Okay. And that's not a bad thing, because I like Douglas Adams. Okay. <laughs> I, I really... I do. I enjoy that obscure... It's a very cerebral type of humor. Definitely, yeah. Um, and it's fun. I, I remember uh, somebody, once upon a time, trying to interpret the whole 42 thing in a different mathematical base notation, and they came up with, hey, this actually does kind of equate to something if you do it in octal. And Douglas Adams made the comment, look, guys, even I don't make jokes in octal. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good comment. Um, anyway, I, I like Douglas Adams, but even after a while, I got tired of Douglas Adams. Interesting. Okay. And so anyway, that, that's how I describe this, this particular podcast. For me, there is an epitome of that type of writing, and it is Douglas Adams. Sure, yeah. He it's, owns it's that. To, yeah, it's hard to be a second fiddle in that space. And th- what this particular podcast does is the obscure, the what, what, the ridiculous, the um, you know, the interesting turn of phrase, and now a list. And then he would just read a list of <laughs> random things. And while that is amusing, and it, there were parts of this, I want to be clear, there were parts of this where I thought, okay, that actually was pretty good. And if this is your very first introduction into that type of humor, that type of storytelling, I, I think you're going to find people who are really going to get into it. I, I, clearly, from the, the numbers of people who have downloaded the podcast, um, it, it, it is... It's finding a market. It, for sure. Absolutely. 
It didn't necessarily work for me. Okay. One of the interesting things I want to talk about, I think Brandy mentioned this, is the weather. The weather, when the the guy who's, you know, he's it's like he's doing a little news program, right. and now the weather. And at that point, it cuts away, and it's some song. It's some musician who, it's not a famous person. This is people who are just trying to get their own music out there. I heard... I think I have to be honest. I think I heard four songs. I legitimately said, oh, that wasn't terrible. That was actually pretty decent. And so for from that aspect to getting somebody else's name out there with their, you know, their music sure. and whatnot, that's a pretty cool concept. People like my friend John Madsen, who really enjoys music, might actually really get into something like that because then they can hear other bands, other musicians that might, you know, strike their fancy. I'm not that type of person again. So, anyway, there were, uh, let's see here, what's the math? Eight others that I thought were terrible. (laughs) So, a third of the music I thought was actually pretty good. Um, I don't know what that says, math-wise or or others, uh, but it's a unique concept, trying to get some other music out there for people to help them along in their career, you know, putting their voice out. Um... In the end, I think I'm going to unsubscribe this. Okay. Uh, there's, I think there's only about 42 out there, so it's really not long. You should take a listen to it. You might actually enjoy it. I, I'm trying to finish the uh, History of Rome podcast before I add anything else to the plate right now. Okay. Um, you uh, you mentioned that there was some other woman. Yes, I'm, Mara Wilson. I'm wondering... Where it is that she would come into this? Because this podcast, in all 12 episodes, there was only one voice. There was no other voices in this. It's only the voice of the person reading the news. I don't know. She may just be a writer. I I, I actually, not having listened to it, I just know that I saw it mentioned on her blog. And in the meantime, I've actually spoken with Aaron a couple times about this podcast. He's a big fan of it. Mm Mm-hmm. And he mentioned, I think he said that she does come into it at some point. She's a character. Yeah, that, I don't know, maybe that might be a little interesting. I doubt I would get into it because, again, it's that storytelling type that I really love if it's done really well. But for me, this just, it misses a little bit. Um, And I just wanted to thank Brainy for mentioning this. Uh, I branched out a little bit. I tried something new. Dipped your toe in the water? A tad bit, yes. Um, okay. Second thing I wanted to bring up. That was a long first thing. Uh, what, the Night Vale? <laughs> well, you, you talked about John's email and then talked about... Well, that though. wasn't the first thing. That was an email. <laughs> okay, your second thing. What's wrong with you? Um, the second thing is I found a new television show that I not only like, I love. Really? Oh, yeah. Huge fan of this binge watching esque <laughs> type fan of this. So is this something we're going to cover on the podcast? No. Oh. In no way. I can't even imagine this being I don't know how we would cover this <laughs> in a podcast. This that would be bizarre. Um so you've probably heard of it. There's a show from the UK called Top Gear. Sure. Okay. Have you seen any of I've Top I've seen a few episodes here and there. Okay. I, I saw the one with the Bugatti Veyron where they 
they go out on this racetrack where it's so long and flat you can actually see the curvature yeah. of the earth. I saw that one. Yeah, they get up to some ridiculously yeah. high speed, 250 miles an hour, 270, I don't know. Ridiculous. Um, these guys, um, Jeremy Clarkson, uh, Richard Hammond, James May, are the three presenters. And I'm only going from their their redo, because I guess there was a Top Gear back in the 90s. Then okay. Jer- Jeremy Clarkson was on that. He left. The show stopped. He did some other things. And then they came back to it, rebooted the show. Uh, one of the very fun things, I'll just share a couple of, of unique things. They take trips from time to time. There, one particular trip was driving from London to uh, the the Swiss Alps. So Jeremy Clarkson drove a car. The other guys were taking a plane. Okay. Who was going to get there first? Interesting. It was. It's hilarious to watch these guys. Uh, just because of the the types of personality they are and the things that they do, Jeremy Clarkson is the most oddly more arrogant than I am. <laughs> arrogant and opinionated, if if that can be a thing. Um, uh, they, I mean, the race is is fun and unique. They get there literally at the same time, but because the other guys had already gotten off the plane and they weren't allowed to use a car. They were walking to the chalet. Nice. He drives past them and gets there 15 minutes before them kind of thing. <laughs> uh, tons of stuff like that. Driving. The show is about cars and what you know what, what types of cars are out there. I want to say this is the same show where I saw they parked a car on the tarmac and then they had a, a jet. This is this is this this is that show, and it like blows the car down the tarmac. Oh yeah, they Strip, did they did the this everything. before MythBusters did this. Okay, um, yeah, that they definitely did that. Matter of fact, they came to America and were doing a road trip. They bought they each had a thousand dollars to buy a used car when they got to somewhere in Florida, the tip of Florida, and they did, and then they were driving all along till they got to New Orleans. Anyway, through Alabama, one of the challenges they had to do was write a message on the other person's car in the hopes of potentially getting them arrested or shot. <laughs> and it's fun, you know, it's it's goofy because you never expect something like that to happen. Sure, yeah. And what they wrote some really funny things. The worst of it was like man love is best. <laughs> It, they they went and filled Nambla up. Nambla Unite. <laughs> um, and, wait, Nambla? No, Man Love. I, no, I'm saying I, I was thinking of worse things. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, they they go into this. <laughs> they go into the to fill up for gas. They people are driving in and seeing this, and people are talking. They're like, "Are you kidding me? Are you are you people gay? Is, are you trying to provoke people? Are you and?" It all heck breaks loose. Huh. And they're like, okay, we have got to get out of here because our lives are in danger now. So they start to leave. One of the guy's crappy cars Won't can't start. start. <laughs> so the other guy goes and gives them, you know, a, a jump. They finally get away to the point where they were so scared they pulled over off onto some highway and they were 
like quickly trying to wash off all of the the writing that was on the car. <laughs> Ab, I was in tears watching this happen. Um. Anyway, uh, it just uh, hilarity all over the place. It is fun. It's it's about cars, and I'm not a car guy, but it's fun to watch this okay. this thing happen over and over and over again. Um, I have watched literally hours upon hours all in a row of this thing because of Netflix. Um, and I'm only halfway through. I think I'm up to like 2006. And I think they're still going right now. So I've got several more years, 20 episodes a year uh, <laughs> that, that I get to, to fill in here. It, it I can't even express how all of the unique different things. They take this, the thing that they try and do to this Toyota truck because it's Toyota truck is like the it, like it goes forever. Sure. It, it just never stops this thing. They it got washed out to sea. It got <laughs> set on fire. Things dropped on top of it. The engine still worked huh. over and over and over again to the point where they found a building that was getting demolished, a multi-story building. They managed to get it up on top of the building. They demoed it. <laughs> It fell down structurally, like I mean, it's bent up a whole bunch, but structurally is still fine. Took the took the mechanic about fifteen minutes. He couldn't add any new parts to this at all. He could only jerry rig it a little bit here and there with you know simple tools. Started back up. Wow! It is uh, anyway. They do stuff like this all the time. I am a huge, huge fan of this. And I'm disappointed with all of our British listeners who did not tell me about this show uh, for me to watch it sooner than what I did because I love it. It, it is it is phenomenal. I, I'm not saying anybody else will love it, but I did. Um, and wow, thank you, Top Gear, because I, I'm a huge fan. Okay, those were my things to cover. Um, Do we have more emails? We do have more emails, um, and uh, this, I guess... Mm, not the right time yet? Yeah, probably not the right time. There's a couple of top fives in there okay. uh, and whatnot. So we should probably do Facebook Find of the Week, um, which there was a ton that's happened over the last month. Sorry for all of you who've posted in, and I've not paid much attention to it. Um, Fishhead posted something up today. Oh, I haven't looked today. Um, and I'm suddenly blanking on what it is, and I don't have my computer here in front of me. Well, let me pull it up here. But he, he definitely posted it uh, today, and I remember looking at it and thinking, Oh, oh, I remember. Sesame Street Fighter. <laughs> and I can't tell if this is supposed to be like an actual game that you play because I only spent like a minute looking at it. Uh, but it's you know it's the well, it looks like you can actually play it. I I I tried for a little bit. I couldn't actually get it to move or do any controls. Um, it's hilarious. Cookie Monster as. Um, uh, as the big fat guy, it is really, really pretty funny. You, you should all go and check that out. So, uh, Fishhead, thank you very much for finding that and sharing it. I got a, a, a big laugh out of that today. <laughs> Those look pretty funny. Um, okay, uh, top five or Brainy's Nook? What do you want to do? 
Uh, let's do Brainy's Nook. Brainy's Nook. Okay. Got to open that email up here. Um, and here, Brainy, Brainy, Brainy. There you are. <laughs> nope. Wrong email. Okay. This is long. Really long. Sup, dudes. Welcome back. In one of our BSG episodes this week, we see a musical conversation between two people responding to the accusation of ripping off another composer. Um, The dad uses the word touchstone to describe how he dips into some of his favorite composers for inspiration. This is definitely something that everyone does in the act of composing, at least in one way and all music is stolen from previous music. Beethoven did it to Mozart, just as Vanilla Ice did it to Queen. (laughs) Therefore, I wanted to comply to the Overlord's directive for this week's Nook of Darkness with a little insight into the act of music composition. Okay. Um, Which you probably aren't aware with that statement there. I asked him about this because Brainy is is in a band so I assume he is part of music composition from time to time. Well, he certainly he composed this our own piece of music. He did. Uh, And so I thought I'd ask him what is it like to do that? You know, what is the process like for composing music? Uh, Because we do see this, you know, the, the oh yeah, I'm just trying to figure this out and, you know, back and forward. I have no concept of this. So I asked him he was he willingly complied about this. It'll be interesting for me to compare this to the process of writing. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Sound is organized into frequencies. Mathematically, spaced frequencies are notes. Math, squash, A. Uh, let's see, math, smash, A. A few notes around, and we have chords. Pick any key, and you have, uh, and you have t- the same pattern oriented around a certain bass note. Every key has seven notes and seven chords. You pick some chords and sing a tune over them, and that's your song. Rules can be broken, and the song's sound depends on how closely the composer either stayed in key or didn't. Almost every song from the last 100 years of Western music only used a few chords and a fistful of notes. As I hear any music, my brain automatically organizes and registers the mathematical codes as notes and chords. Well, all of our brains do. I am fortunate to be blessed with the ability to understand exactly how to play a piece of music as I hear it. It's just a practice skill, not a talent. It was a fun party trick for a while for people to toggle through the radio stations trying to land on a song that I could not instantly reproduce on my guitar. I was never stumped. Again, most songs are only a few chords. It's really quite easy, and I am also not unique. Musicians train their brains to be more familiar with these patterns. It's almost like as I hear the song, I visualize its tune as a geometric shape. So I am not going to get pedantic here. I am only using number sets to represent the music element. And this discussion excludes jazz, which is a little more complex. However, one should understand that almost every rock or pop song ever is set in a key of seven notes and seven chords. Most songs use much less. Songs like The Good Morning Sun uh, 
every blues song, Enter Sandman, Billie Jean, and Staying Alive are comprised of only three chords. So the song's awesomeness has nothing to do with how many chords it has, but how artfully they are thrown together. Even a seemingly complicated song, like Stairway, has six chords with some slight variations. Western music has basically squeezed chord progressions into a dozen templates that songwriters shamelessly reuse. The blues is one such template. There is a three-chord formula, and it never alters. We are like children inserting shapes into holes. <laughs> Off the top of my head, I can tell you that the same chord progression is used at varying speeds for Under the Bridge, With or Without You, Beast of Burden, When I Come Around, Good, and Glycerine, and No Woman No Cry, and Let It Be. I could go on for a while, but I had to cut off the flood of examples. But the point is, you can sing any of those tunes on top of any others by adjusting the speed and the key. They all use the same template. So what makes a songwriter great? It starts with a thought of a sound. I think that foremost is an ability not to be bogged down with worries about coping, excuse, copying someone else's work. It is inevitable and unavoidable. Given the limited palette that is the building blocks of Western music, one has to be bold enough to go forward with their song. Now many falter at this point. It is very easy to emulate the broad strokes of a familiar sound without fine-tuning. This is where songs start to sound stupid, uncreative, bland, and nickelbackish. <laughs> Why does everyone hate Nickelback so much? Because they are very formulaic. Still good music. Without nuances, the results are blah. I recently heard D. Snyder explaining that he wrote, We're Not Gonna Take It, by accidentally ripping off Oh, come all ye faithful. Sing just the words of the titles, and it's the same melody. Of course, no one accused Twisted Sister of plagiarizing Christmas because the song has enough little touches to distinguish it. So the act of songwriting uses a basic formula in a hopefully creative way. The greatest example I can offer is through the immortal creativity of John Lennon. He felt that Help was the best song he ever wrote, and in many ways, it is perfect. It's balanced and cogently assembled, comprised of two parts with a lil in-betweener in riff. The verse's major chords offset the minor sounds of the chorus, and it's super catchy. And the best part is that, as he explained, as he wrote the song, he was just trying to sound like Ray Charles. Just imagine Ray singing it. The reason that it's not a blatant ripoff is that John was cool. I feel trying to extrapolate this that any further would erode its meaning. All that I can tell you dudes for sure is that when I write a song, I pick a character from a novel and try to tell their story. I usually let a group of words produce their own music as they are spoken. 
I hum the tune that emerges and frame it within a group of related chords, usually having only a few in mind. Sometimes I rock out a sweet riff and I find a melody after that. Either way, the process is most efficient when it happens organically, or as Lennon said, you just gotta try not to force it to happen. Hope that sheds some light, dude. Uh, yeah, really good uh, nook. Uh, probably one of my favorite in, in a long time. Um, probably because I requested that you do it, and so was therefore personally vested. Uh, but regardless of that, it's great to get a little feel for that, uh, that creative process, because I know nothing about music other than what I think sounds good in my ear. I don't know how it's created. I don't know how that happens. It's just not a skill I have. It's not a talent I have. Okay. Um, okay. So, Brainy, thank you very, very much for sending that in. Okay. Shall we do... Um, top five? Top five. And our top five <laughs> is top dumb. five deceased actors. Dumbest top five we've had ever. Oh, yeah. This is what I get for letting you pick them. Yeah, because all of the other choices you've ever had were winners. Yes, absolutely. Com- <laughs> by comparison. I, I want to be clear. Th- this was one of, I think, Brainy, uh, not, uh, uh, Fishhead's uh, suggestions. Okay. I selected it because I knew I would not have to think about this, and it would be fairly easy for me to put together, um, and I am happy that I chose that. Uh, so, I think... Yeah, I think we might be the only ones that have a list. Let me just check real quick here. Oh, sorry. Fishhead does have one sent in. He uh, he says this. I'm not sure what you meant, uh, if you meant actor referring to just males or in the gender neutral sense of this week's top five. But in my case, it doesn't really matter. Off the top of my head, I couldn't think of any deceased female actors to include in my top five. Wow. That's sexist. (laughs) Good for you. Uh, Maybe after hearing everyone's list, I may remember someone else to include. For my list, I thought back on actors who, if I was flipping through channels or browsing movies or TV shows, uh, I saw them uh, in, I would stop to watch at least part of the program. Many actors have outstanding performances in one or two shows, but there are ones who consistently were in great shows or by their participation made the show better. Catherine Hepburn, Heath Ledger, Gregory Peck, and Peter Sellers are my honorable mentions. If Heath had been in more shows, there's a very good chance he would have made my top five. The five on my list would be, in alphabetical order, Charlie Chaplin... Harry Grant, Danny Kay, ooh, Danny Kay, yeah. didn't even consider him, Groucho Marx, and James Stewart. I wasn't sure if Cary Grant was dead, so he didn't make my list because I didn't want to, I was like, <laughs> you think he, Cary Grant might still be alive? He might still be kicking around somewhere, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> Catherine Hepburn held on for a long time. Um. Okay, so yeah, I think that's it. Um, whew. Joey, why don't you uh, okay. why don't you give us your list? Sure. Uh, number five on my list is Harry Morgan. Oh, okay, sure. 
go Colonel, Colonel Potter. Potter from MASH. Yep. Uh, number four on my list is Danny Kaye. Which, by the way, uh, he was he was also in Dragnet. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, so number four is, is Danny Kaye. Number three is Spencer Tracy. I just want to say Danny Kaye is a powerhouse comedian, <laughs> good <laughs> actor, yeah. and a good dancer. And musically talented as well. Um, yeah, he he is just solid every which way you look at him. Uh, I, I I still, you know, there's the, I can't remember the name of the movie, but it's the one where he's in in the Dark Ages, King Arthur's Court. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's got yeah. He's the, the, the... Something in uh, the Court poison, Jester. The poison with, oh, yeah, it might be the Court Jester. Uh-huh. The poison and the pestle, I can't even remember. But that thing right there, like, the, 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 there's this tongue twister mind-bending line of, or bit of dialogue that I still... The scene where they are knighting him and there's this big, long production and dancing and all around his pants are falling down. Oh my gosh. I cannot help but laugh at that. I, I desperately wish that were on Netflix so I could share it with my children. Okay. Sorry. Number three was Spencer Tracy. Uh, therefore, number two is Catherine Hepburn. Because for me, Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn just go together. And then my number one deceased actor is Audrey Hepburn. Okay. Fine choices all around. I had... Oops. I... Uh, a list. <laughs> These are the, the list of actors that I came up with. Okay. I had to write them really small. Uh, because I guess that's just what I do. That is what you do. Because <laughs> you don't have to. You choose to. Yes. <laughs> um... And I had a really hard time writing this down. Uh, I did have... So, he did not make my final list, but I just wanted to share this. I was writing uh, things down, and I had to go online and find lists of actors who were dead. (laughs) And uh, I was trying to write Paul Newman down, but I accidentally wrote Paul Walker down. (laughs) And while he is a deceased actor, fits the bill... Not, not, not on your top five. <laughs> top five by any means. I have never seen any of the Fast uh, movies. I saw the first one. Not seen any of them. Uh, I have to say, uh, since we since you brought up the topic, if you haven't ever seen any of the Honest movie trailers, the Honest movie trailer for the Fast and the Furious Five mm-hmm. probably one of the funniest things on YouTube. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I have a lot of here. Sadly, Danny Kay did not make the list, and he is spectacular uh, in every sense of the word. Um, so I'm going to give an honorable mention to Peter O'Toole. Yeah, he was on my short list. He has just been in so many wonderful things, and he is just a phenomenal actor. Yeah. Brilliant actor. Uh, number five is going to go to Harvey Corman. Okay. I didn't uh, realize Harvey Corman was dead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Harvey Corman's dead. Um, he was in um, not Mary Tyler Moore show, the Carol Burnett show, yes. um, and he was also in Blazing Saddles. Still haven't seen that one. God, you are missing <laughs> out on brilliance. Uh, very, very funny man. Brilliantly funny. Loved him on Carol Burnett show. That was always great. Uh, number four, Steve McQueen. Okay. The epitome is obviously uh, The Great Escape. Cooler. Sadly, I've not seen what other people would consider the epitome, which is Bullet. Bullet. I've just not ever seen it. Oh, you should. 
And I have seen him in other things. One of the other favorites is The Magnificent Seven, yep. uh, which he's in. Uh, matter of fact, Ewell Brenner was annoyed with him because he always was stealing the scenes that Ewell Brenner was in. He was always doing something so that he would get noticed while Ewell Brenner was supposed to be the, the focus, forefront. Yeah. Uh, number three is going to go to Michael Landon. Okay. He is just the epitome of, like, the good guy. <laughs> L- literally played an angel on television <laughs> for many years. <laughs> And he is just like, you look at him and you're like, I kinda, I wish he was my dad. <laughs> Nothing wrong with my dad. My dad's a good guy. But Michael Landon's just so loving. He's strong. He's tough. He's good looking. Has a thick, full head of hair. <laughs> um, you know, I actually, the only things I ever saw Michael Landon in was Bonanza and Highway to Heaven. I've never seen any of the Little House or any of that. Oh yeah, a little house on the prairie. I'm surprised your wife is is not a a fan of that. She's a big fan of the books. I don't know if she even ever watched the TV show. Wow, I, I, I bet, just don't know. It's I never bet come up. Beth would love Little House on the Prairie. Honestly, yeah, we we I know she's read the books. the The books are, I'm sure, interesting. I suppose, <laughs> but the the story that gets told there, I I think, is all sorts of spectacular. Okay, um. And it went on for decades, that show. <laughs> it did seem to go on for a long time. Yeah. Uh, okay, my number two is Lee Marvin. Okay. Um, he, the, the Dirty Dozen, uh, Hell in the Pacific. Uh, he is the epitome of the crotchety old man <laughs> who's tough and you just don't want to mess with. Yeah, I, I believe Lee Marvin is uh, Liberty Valance. I'm not mistaken. I in, don't in know what that is. Um, uh, there, there's a there's a great Lee Marvin story that I want to share here. It's, uh, my my father-in-law loves to tell it, and I always enjoy hearing it, so I'm passing it on. Apparently, uh, Lee Marvin once in an interview was asked, "Is there a role you wish you hadn't taken? You know, has there ever been a role you regret accepting?" And I don't know what the what the role is or what movie it was. But he talked about how in one movie he sh- he shot John Wayne in the back. And he said, you know, it's been 15, 20 years since I made that movie. I still have old ladies chase me down the street with their purse because I shot that nice John Wayne fella in the back. Mm. <laughs> I, uh, I also have a story about Lee Marvin. In college, one of my professors, he was a lawyer. Um, it was a law class. And he shared... Yeah, he was good friends with Lee Marvin. So he, from time to time, would come in and, and tell stories uh, about Lee Marvin and uh, and whatnot. I'm blanking on any of them right now, but I just remember thinking, man, he is so lucky to get to know <laughs> Lee Marvin. That's awesome. Uh, my number one, um, and uh, I'm hoping my friend John Madsen will appreciate this, is Charlton Heston. Okay. The The... I have seen several movies of his. I have never once seen one that I said, boy, that wasn't that good. Because he is really a stellar actor. <laughs> he is just so fantastic. Um, so, that uh, that is my list. Okay. Now, before you get into Joey's Culture Corner, I do have an email which uh, needs to be read here. Oh, sorry. Um, nope, that's not it. Next recording. 
Ah, here it is. From listener M. A suggestion for the Culture Corner. Okay. I would be interested to hear Joey's thoughts on the podcast, Judge John Hodgman. The episode put out this week might be of special interest to you all. Case number 148, Science Friction. Just a thought, listener M. Uh, so, I wanted to make sure and get that in for you. Okay. I'll, I'll give it a listen. Okay. So, Joey's Culture Corner. Uh, Joey's Culture Corner this week actually comes out of a book that I learned about at LTUE and was so fascinated with the idea of it that I have already powered through it and read it all the way through. The, the title of the book is The Virgin's Promise by a woman named Kim Hudson. The, uh, the premise of this book, it's a... It's a lot like Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces. So we're talking about myth and identifying common themes in myth. And the, the, the starting point is looking at the hero's promise and saying, yes, you can have women that go through the hero's promise, but there's something predominantly male about, or sorry, the hero's journey. There's something predominantly male about the hero's journey. It's an external journey. The man leaves his his town, his village. He goes out and he finds the magical elixir after much hardship and he brings it back to save the village. There's a counter story, meta-myth, if you will, that the, Kim Hudson has identified as, the, she calls it the Virgin's Promise, and it is an internal growth, an internal version of the hero's journey. And so she elaborated six steps uh, of the, the Virgin's Promise that she goes through. Uh, and I, I, I'm not going to try and, and list them all for you here, but the, the general sense of it is that it starts off, it's a character who starts off where the world, as that person identifies it, the world as I identify it, is wholly dependent on me. I have to keep the world going. It's, it relies on me. But because of the codependent relationship between myself and the world, neither one of us is evolving or growing as, as you know, characters it's holding us back and so i have to as as the, the the main character as the protagonist as the person going through the journey i have to find that thing inside of myself that lets me be an independent and whole person and then i can more fully participate in the community i don't want to derail you here but it, this kind of sounds like a self-help book no not that way. No, this is this is all about meta myth and writing tools. So as you're writing characters, there, you know, people tend to treat the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, the one that he identified, as the end all be all of storylines. And so as I'm writing, as I'm writing, as I'm writing my book, it's almost like a lot of a lot of authors treat it almost like a checklist. Okay, yep, got my transformation moment. I've got my the mentor is withdrawn from the hero. I've got my return with the elixir. You know, there, there's these steps that we feel like we have to follow. First of all, that's not good writing by any means. Um, but but secondly, there's this there's this other angle on character growth, which is the internal journey as opposed to the external journey. I'm growing as a person rather than going out and getting the thing and bringing it back and saving the world. So it's. It's it's very much about mythology and how we process stories, rather than individual growth or or talking to you as hey here's what you need to do in your life. Hmm. 
Um, so definitely not a uh, fiction book then, it no, sounds no, like. it's definitely non-fiction. Okay. Uh, anyway, I, I really enjoyed it. The I, I actually heard about it at Darren Hansen's, uh, one of Darren Hansen's presentations at LTUE. He was uh, one of the interviewees that I think, he was the one that mentioned Babylon 5, that I think a lot of people enjoyed hearing from him. Personally, I love talking to the guy. I, 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 if I could find a way to get that guy on this podcast, I would. Because he's just very, very entertaining to listen to. He thinks very deeply about things. He thinks at a level that I think you and I aspire to. Uh, and sometimes we grasp. He hmm. seems to grasp it on a more regular basis, more readily than you and I do. Moving on to episodes. We are going to cover episodes 17 through 18 of Battlestar Galactica Season 4. And we'll start with episode 17, Someone to Watch Over Me. Kara hallucinates a moment of closure with her estranged father and uncovers the cosmic secret of all along the watchtower. I was so close to singing that title. <laughs> um, I don't know who originally composed it, but that uh, slow, someone to watch you. <laughs> I, I just have had stuck in my head since I've watched this episode. Nice. Um, which is a lovely song. Very nice. Um, so I, I really wanted to start the discussion on this episode tonight about, well, some kind of snarky comment. I hadn't really decided what. About how Kara just needs to talk to people about what's going on with her. She just needs to open up and and let people in. And then I said, wait. <laughs> I, can't, I can't talk about that. <laughs> you could. I, I am in no position it's to not, judge someone else's ability to I, open up. I don't believe it's within your genetic makeup for you to be able to do that. Um, but uh, good advice, nonetheless. And she does need that. She desperately needs that. She's needed that her whole bloody entire life. Um, this is... An episode, the next, this one and the next one, where dare I say it, I actually like Starbuck. Wow, really? Yeah, it's fascinating because I really did not like Starbuck. In this and it's episode. because this is no longer the in-your-face. Um, I'm angry and upset, and bleh, I'm gonna be terrible to everyone I meet ever, and I'm just <laughs> selfish. This was someone who introverted, you know, definitely very contemplative of whatever was going on with with themselves and it I finally said, "Huh, a Starbucks that I can get behind." Interesting. Uh because it is so s tiring. <laughs> Just so tiring to watch that same Starbucks over and over and over again and I I I'm just pleased that there is some part of the character of Starbuck that I can look at and say, all right, that didn't make me want to vomit. Um, okay, we start out with the episode. Drudgery, dreary, over and over and over again. The same thing happening um, as, you know, she's leading uh, the, the flight people. I, I thought it was funny that uh, it's like, hey, whoever finds Earth gets the very last tube of toothpaste. Not Earth, but a habitable planet. Habitable planet. Sorry, thank you. Um, and I just got to thinking, 
finally, they're acknowledging <laughs> that literally supplies are running out here. Yeah. It seems like there's this magical place aboard Galactica <laughs> or in the fleet where supplies just keep reappearing all over yeah, the place. I, I think the water issue for me is the one that I still haven't gotten past. Um, yeah, because it was episode two, right? Uh huh. Water. I, yeah, it was. Yeah, <laughs> and it's never really come up again since then. <laughs> well, thankfully, no one sabotaged it again, so all of the water is just fine. <laughs> Um, yeah, there's really no other way to handle this. I mean, other than saying, oh, yeah, I guess there's another ship in the fleet that can purify their own water. We'll, we'll just start getting it from we have them. Perfect reclamation. <laughs> um, yeah. But anyway, the other idea is I, I'm one of those pilots in there and I'm realizing I may not be able to brush my teeth anymore the way that I'm accustomed to doing this. Uh, and that's like. That's interesting. As a person who has... I I really... I don't want for anything in my life. To suddenly think... Oh, I don't have this very... What I consider basic, basic. need. You know, I don't have this basic thing anymore. What in the <laughs> world would my life be like? I can't comprehend it. I have no comprehension for this. Because I have so much, because I am, you know, in, in this incredibly blessed society of pl plenty. Yeah. Anyway, the, the, those were just the thoughts that were running through my head. Um, we come to find out uh, that there's not very many jumps left in Galactica. It's falling apart. Yep. They say, hey, maybe four more jumps. And I, I, as we see in this episode and in the next one, the ship is literally coming apart all over the place. It's weird. It seems to the 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 fix of the organic compound really seems to have exacerbated the problem, or at least it's on an accelerated schedule for some reason. Here's the thing: thought about that, disagree with it, because I think. There, it's been a number of days. It hasn't been, you know, just a, a couple of days. It's been a long haul. That, that's, I think, one of the things, uh, the, the beginning there with Starbuck is seeing the same thing over and over sure. and over and over again yep. to the point where she's, you know, she's got this rehearsed dialogue that she gives. Um, I don't see it as exacerbating. I see it as this isn't really fixing anything. It's maybe keeping it together a little bit longer than what they would have had it, but it's really not fixing it. There's nothing that's going to fix this. This is a dying... I, I see your point. I, and I guess I wasn't really trying to suggest that it is exacerbating it. All I was saying was there seems to be some kind of power law in effect here where the graph of damage to Galactica seems to have been like this. there's this slow, gradual destruction, and then all of a sudden we hit a point where there's just a hockey stick in that in that graph where it's just suddenly everything's falling apart all the time, everywhere. Uh, it just, it seemed like a really sudden turn in the series. I, I would have expected to have been dealing with this on a smaller basis further back in the storyline because we only, we've only known about this for what, like four episodes. 
Yeah, maybe two. So I'm saying uh, on a storytelling basis, it seems like everything seemed like it was just fine. And now all of a sudden we're literally falling apart at the seams. Interesting. From a logic perspective, maybe everything had been falling apart at the seams for a very long time. We just hadn't noticed it. Mm. And now it literally everyone's noticing it because it has been getting as bad as it has been. Uh, Meaning... It would have ended up there at that point anyway, but it just so happened that Chief finally saw it because of that one happenstance. And Galactica? How many battles has this thing been through? It is... It's had the daylights pounded out of it. It We had the bucket drop. (laughs) (laughs) That can't have been good for it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Okay. So... Moving on, Cylons get their seat on the council. Yep. And they're going to use it to try Boomer for treason. Yeah, they they want to kill Boomer. Uh, And that's uh, interesting that they're like, you know... Because of the fact that we there's no resurrection anymore, yeah, we definitely want to see about killing her. Yeah, capital punishment has... I, I don't follow <laughs> the logic in that, but... Okay, fine. Let's kill Boomer. I'm okay with that. It, it was just weird. Really weird. Um, and then I made the note about composing music, because then this is the scene <laughs> where Starbuck is in the, uh, the bar. bar, and there's some guy plunking away on the piano, and she's giving him heck because she's being Starbuck, annoyed by yeah. him. Um, and... She's just sort of... I mean, at this moment, she's in this haze. We're going to see this come back to this particular scene in the bar a few times. Uh, but before this, again, is she's just in this haze of unfeeling and, you know, just falling... I think almost on her side, she's falling apart at the seams, too. Sure. She's broken fundamentally inside. And that's... She hasn't been able to correct this She's by to the bone. But by, by the next adrenaline fix of running out there and fighting the Cylons and resetting whatever is needs to be reset in her, or sleeping with a man. <laughs> uh, uh, here's my question: I couldn't tell. I, I wasn't sure if the piano is supposed to be out of tune or if it, the song that he's playing is just truly terrible. It really sounded awful. Uh, I would guess it's the guy's figuring out as he goes along, and there's notes that just don't fit. Okay. As he's playing them, I guess. M- maybe the piano's out of tune, I guess. Um, any of those answers, I think, are just as plausible as the next. Okay. I don't know. I, I can't think of any other. Um, so we have Tyrrell and Boomer <laughs> kind of starting to make up a little bit. And he's visiting her. She shares her projection. Okay, before she shares her projection, there is a line I wanted to share. You can't force people to love you at the point of a gun. (laughs) Uh, And Boomer acts as though this was news to her. (laughs) I just thought that was interesting. Um, It was at that point that I was like, oh, she's, she's been inserted into the fleet. She she is working for Cavill inside the fleet. The way she's trying to act all innocent about, oh, 
Well, I realize now I can't make people love me at the point of a gun. I sure <laughs> wish I would have known that before New Caprica. That was where I was like, oh, there she is playing this guy for a fool. Um, the projection that she shared <laughs> is very tailored to, I think, what Chief wants. He wants to have this family. He wants to, you know, have something more than the just himself. And two and a half kids. And-, and it's very interesting because at first he recoils from it. Yeah. Which is that odd, but I, okay. I mean, he's relatively new to being a Cylon again, so... And didn't really not seem to know about projection. I Yeah, I... It, that's what seemed odd to me. Is he, you know, he's back in, you know, this point of, you know, being a Cylon. He's integrated with all of them. No one's ever mentioned it to him. I, I think it's one of those things that made sense to me. It's one of those things where everyone else in Cylon society just takes it for granted that every Cylon knows how to do this. It hasn't even occurred to them that the final five don't know how to do this. It, I, I don't know if it's so much that the final five don't know how to do this. It seems like he doesn't know how to do this. We don't have any indication that Ty or the others know how to do it. Yeah, I don't think Ty does. I, I And I think he, Ty would run or try and get <laughs> drunk if someone tried to... Do this to him? Yeah. So this... Uh, we, we, we talked briefly this week, earlier this week, about what I got out of this episode. I don't know if you remember. I mentioned I have a new theory. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you did mention that. About uh, Starbuck, about right? About Starbuck. So... I didn't know, it never even occurred to me, that Cylons can make others see their projections. Does this only apply to other Cylons, or is this the explanation for Head Six, Head Gaius, and Carathrace? Mm. Are they Cylon projections? Is there a Cylon somewhere in the fleet that is projecting their existence to everyone around because that's how they're coping. That's how they're processing what's going on. So, for example, so if, if, Anders. If what I hear you saying is Kara Starbuck is a projection. Right. That she's not actually there. That Anders could not deal with his wife being dead and subconsciously projected Kara back into the fleet and is playing out all the knowledge that he's carrying around in his head through the projection of Kara Thrace. Okay, so just going to f- go with the flow yep. here. Where was Carathrace ever real? The original Carathrace was, yes, the one that died in the maelstrom. Okay. Um is So how do you explain this episode of Carathrace seemingly having a hallucination <laughs> of her father? <laughs> How does that fit into anything? Because she was the only one who was a part of this. It, it actually does kind of, for me, it, <laughs> it, it played well. And here's why. There's two reasons. The first is, we see Sam in the hospital, and they make a big issue out of how there's lots of brain activity going on, even though he appears to be in a coma. To me... No, they, they they said he didn't have any brain activity. Yes, they, they, they make a big deal about it. They're like, look at all this brain activity that's going on here. It's very unusual. Normally, a coma patient doesn't exhibit all of this. 
Doc Cottle has a conversation about that with Carrot and they've got this monitor, and it's got like tons of colored yeah, I, things I re- spiking around on it. I remember that exactly the opposite of them saying, look, there's nothing there. There is no brain activity happening. Man, I got the exact opposite thing. Yeah, it's bizarre scene. that we are so <laughs> extremely opposite there. Go, go, go on, go so on I, with I the I took the that theory. to say, oh, well, that here's a possible explanation for that, is that he's that brain activity is him maintaining... The projection of Carathrace. Even though he's not conscious, he is maintaining that projection. And he wants his wife, this person that he loves, to have a sense of closure. So he is playing out for her, for his projection of her, this sense of closure with her father. It doesn't make any sense. I thought that made perfect sense. It doesn't make any of that sense. Like, I love the theory. I love the fact that you're coming up with this theory to explain who she is. And... I actually even like the idea of, you know, the head six Gaius, um, head Gaius, uh, as projections from some other place. But the Starbuck one <laughs> makes no sense whatsoever. Why does the projection, the thing that is not real, that he can just project that she's gotten over all of this emotional trauma... <laughs> What? That doesn't make any sense, man. I, I feel like it makes perfect sense. <laughs> he wants he wants to be there with her. He wants her to experience the closure. So he oh. projected a second projection of the projection of her father. But it doesn't look like her father. She doesn't recognize him as her father because Andrews has no idea what her father looked like. Yeah, no. I, I am not with you on this at all. You got, you got to back me up here, listeners. Um, this makes perfect sense. No, it makes no sense. Makes no logical sense. Uh, let's see here. Uh, quote, he just lost his child. You leave him be, Ellen Ty. <laughs> Trying to defend Saul. Colonel Ty. Yeah. When in the just the episode before, it was her who caused the the, the, yeah. di- the child to die. <laughs> oh my gosh! I came unglued when that happened because I was like, "Well, I suppose that actually fits with the character of Alan Ty, just completely self righteous and stupid." Yeah, you know, uh, one other thing on the the Galen and Boomer projection, um, we see. Galen's face, and it doesn't seem to be... There's a complex set of emotions playing out here. Let's put it that way. He seems both happy, I think, and sad. uh, Varying degrees as he's walking through and he's experiencing this house that Boomer has been projecting around herself all the time. And the the daughter that they have. Um, And it just, it reminded me of the concept back in the in the first Matrix movie where uh, Agent Smith is talking about how, you know, we tried to make a, a happy wonderland for you people, but your brains kept rejecting it. This is what you wanted. You wanted the crap hole. <laughs> nice. Starbuck is seeing her charred skull yeah. everywhere, which I liked. I really... The scenes where all of a sudden it was the charred head inside the helmet. I liked the mirror one. I thought that was a good touch. The one with the little girl at the piano, I thought was a little kooky, a little cheesy, campy, I think is the word I'm looking for. 
chief ends up taking drastic measures to set Boomer free. Yeah. Um, and Boomer ends up fighting Sharon and takes her place uh, with Hilo. <laughs> and, and on the ship. And my comment was, yeah, he's going to get in trouble for that one. That's doesn't matter that he was duped. Doesn't matter. I felt like, he is gonna get in trouble for of that. Of course, I'm sitting here watching this, sitting next to my wife. How do you not know who I yes, am? Yes, I'm like, I'm like, just don't look at her. <laughs> don't make eye contact. I don't want this conversation right now. <laughs> I hope you didn't have it. Nope, we did oh, not have it. Good. But I, I was you. dreading it the whole time. <laughs> I was sure that was going to come up at some point. Well, do you think you'd know the difference? What, what do you mean when I know the difference? <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay, so Hera's drawing ends up as real notes Yep. as I, she's putting all this together. Here, here's the thing. The, like, the minute she, the way she was counting them, I could tell. I was like, oh, this is important. This is not an idle drawing. This is going to be significant. Hera is kidnapped. As she's taken from the uh, the the child pen, and <laughs> she's care. like, "Here, here, drink this, baby." And it's like, oh, I'm, I, she's drugging her. Yeah, she's drugging her that sleep. <laughs> um, and then the the song is back as they're plunking things away on the keyboard. You know, behind us, the the sounds that are coming, you know, from the um, uh, the the music guy. The why am I blanking on this, Mister Trace? No, the, the composer. The yeah of uh, Bear McCreary's oh, stuff. Oh, he's oh. he's they're just plunking things right. out on the piano. He's adding all of the rest. Well, of the, he adds in the, the, the Jimi Hendrix, and that's the song. And it was Starbucks' dad. Who originally made that song? And wow, this is getting crazy now. Because this song that woke up all of the other Cylons came from Kara's dad. Unless she's a Cylon projection, in which case it makes perfect sense and there's nothing crazy going on here at all. Right, which, why did she have to remember her dad then? Because the, the because thing her that no one else emotional saw closure. the projection that the projection needed to see. Yes. Yeah. Okay. No. No. <laughs> that is dumb. I, I I'm done even trying to pretend to be nice. That is the dumbest thing you've come up with. Oh man. Hands I, down. I think it makes perfect sense. Uh, Boomer escapes from Galactica. I would imagine you emotional closure, Pete. If I could project you. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> you don't know what emotion is like. I, that's why I'd have to imagine it. You couldn't imagine. You oh, can't imagine a thing you I can don't imagine. know. I can imagine. I may be wrong, but I can imagine. <laughs> uh, so Boomer escapes from Galacta. Tyrrell actually helped her load. I know, right? He's kicking he it several times. It. Uh, then it's like, uh, oh crap. He's realizing something terrible has just happened, and it looks like I was a part of it. I'm going to creepily run away now. Yeah. Uh, and that's uh, that's where the episode ends uh, with her getting off of Galactica. Um, which I, I found it interesting that um, Admiral Adama, when told oh, she's loading up her FTL, if we close this and she jumps, 
inside the bay, inside the 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 arm tube, that's gonna rock this ship. There's gonna cause there's gonna be a problem when that happens. She gets away when she leaps, when she uh, when she jumps, she's close enough to the ship that it causes a problem. Yeah, rips a Does hole. Structural damage. Uh, so think of what would have happened if she had done it inside, and I, f- I think Adama knows the structural damage that would have come, but he still, despite his, I am sick and tired of prophecy. I'm sick and tired of all of this other crap that's going along with it. Wants to save Hera. Right. It's a kid being kidnapped. Yeah, it's, I, I don't think it's a, it's Hera. Okay. It it's. It's Hera. Hmm. Okay. Um, and I, I'm sad to see uh, that happen because Terrell's made a terrible choice here. Yeah. I think it's going to have some ramifications for him. Well, it can't have all that many ramifications. There's only two episodes left. What? Ramifications need many episodes oh, to yeah. carry out? Well, for it to have any kind of emotional force, sure. No. No, no. Um, I don't have any other comments. I know we do have some from listener M. Do you? Yes, do you have I, I have a few things. Just uh, there were two things about the interaction between Kara and I guess her father uh, that really annoyed me. And one of them, I was so annoyed at, I went and posted it to Facebook in my annoyance, in my wrath, as it were. Songs that make you happy and sad at the same time. Huh. Well, the best ones always do. He says, and I'm like, I, oh, what a horrible thing to tell people. Yeah, we should all go around listening to music that makes us weepy, miserable, sad sacks. That's that's a great thing to do. Let's do that. And and then the other one was uh, the line, sometimes lost is where you need to be. I was like, ah, it just sounds like the new age crap that just really irritates me and gets under my skin and bugs me. Lost is never a place you need to be. Where you need to be is found. <laughs> oh, so good. <laughs> Brainy's uh, comments for this episode. Someone to wake me up after this episode is over. Oh, wow. We have seen a numerous episode count for the writing team of Thompson and Weddle. Throughout DS9 and BSG, they consistently do well with military tactical stories. And their character arc episodes are horrifyingly stale. So, does this episode make you happy and sad at the same time? (laughs) Or just bored and forlorn? At the same time. (laughs) When Starbuck opens with the Cap's missions for the day, my first thoughts are why she didn't have more stories about the Planet Hunter Viper Adventures. Bear's opening and closing number is great. And as uh, Daddy Starbucks composing commences, he is noodling around with very complicated chord structures. It's very bare and very sweet. The chords swell into that Drelude tune during Chief's little flashback montage. Great music, but now at 11 minutes in, I had to rewind to look at Hera's stupid stars. There are 13 dots that created the potential proximity for, let's say, a handful of music notes. If the writers really cared about this dumb plot thread, they might have illuminated significance to the colors of the notes. 
or some mathematic equations, or anything more than what we get. There should have been an array of stars. Maybe they formed constellations, which could have been translated into choral arpeggios. Or it could have been like one of those pictures where an image appears after the viewer relaxes their eyes. What we did get was five notes without any assigned rhythm, which manifests in an unsatisfying attempt to try to stretch all along the watchtower to a point that exceeds the simple parameters of the song itself. It's a folk song. It's a three-chord progression the whole time. It's great, but it's like saying the cure for cancer is in that one blues song that sounds all bluesy. (laughs) All Watchtower is in the show, one, some tune that Anders played, two, that the five remembered, and I guess Starbuck played it too. But any meaning or nominal significance to the song in a cultural context is ignored. Lyrics ignored. Composer ignored. Performance of the song on the Fract Earth Top 40 charts ignored. (laughs) It would have been cool if the song actually meant something to the robot people, or if it contained any meaning. Ron Moore was just cruising one day and thought, This jam is sweet, dude. I'm going to use it on the show. The how and why we'll figure out later. We also see this strategy with Starbuck, the harbinger of death, finding her corpse on Earth because she is special because she has many broken fingers. And, oh yeah, there is a depressing chief story, so the writers give him a closing arc where Facehole suckers him into catastrophe, and poor chief just looks like a dumb jerk. If there is some way that his thread ties with Starbuck, uh, I don't see it. And how that connects with the twisted scene where Facehole copulates with Hilo is awful. Um, Although it would have been funny if the screen flashed Lieutenant Commander Carl G. Agathon, call sign Hilo, (laughs) 1,284th day aboard Galactica in the episode is also poor handhole. The only living good female character on the show. Who basically exists to be manipulated and victimized here. (laughs) I'm trying to remember uh, how I reacted when Starbuck uses Hera's notes to play some simple melody that is not part of All Along the Watchtower. I thought, it's just not a good song to use. It's just too thin and too vague. Or it could have been more cohesively woven into the story of this fleet of scoundrels. The tune that the dad was writing was great, but it crashes when it turns into Watchtower. Bear's song is beautiful, though. It reminds me of a modern Claire de Lune. Sci-Fi 5 for the dumb stars. TV 3... It has a few good lines, but it's mostly a vehicle for Bear's compositions. Music 9, minus one for how actually reducing the music into Watchtower is stupid. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like he has some uh, you know, strong feelings there. Maybe next time he'll actually tell us what he really thinks about the episode. <laughs> 
Okay. Um, oh, uh, listener M. It looks like I missed this. Said, hey, dudes. Thought I'd send an email out early in anticipation of another recording this week. I think they sent this like two weeks ago. <laughs> um, or next week if you don't get around to it this week. Yeah, we didn't. So according to my calculations, you only have two more podcasts and you'll be done with BSG. It's hard to believe you went over this series already. Since I'm not sure what the topic is, here's my list. Top five world leaders currently living. Okay. Number five, Benjamin Carson. Number four, Rupert Murdoch. (laughs) Sad but true. Uh, Number three, Robert Gates. Number two, Marissa Meyer. And number one, Oprah. Okay. Who's Marissa Meyer? I don't know. Okay. Good. <laughs> At least we're ignorant together. <laughs> um, episodes. I don't think anybody knows what exactly Starbuck is at this point. I would... Um, uh, I would have to agree with Joey that the series would be better at this point if she had stayed dead. It would also be a fun plot point if Starbuck was running around trying to interact with the living only to be ignored because they can't see her. Also, we now know that the individual models of Cylons can be very different from each other. Athena has proved herself loyal to humanity and a great mother to her Humanalon child. (laughs) Boomer is also loyal to her leader, Cavill. The number eights appear to possess great loyalty. I wonder what Joey's reaction to Boomer this episode will be. He can't be too upset. He has known she is evil for the whole series. TV 8, Sci-Fi 9. So, are you? Upset? No, I was like, who didn't see that one coming? How did you not see that one coming, Galen Terrell? (laughs) He's blinded by love. Well, that's his mistake. Okay, Pete. Um, Give us your uh, science fiction rating. Seven. And I know it's cheesy. I know Brainy doesn't like it. But the whole music thing that plays in there, um, I thought was pretty dang ingenious. And this mystic way that it is somehow connected to the Cylons, that her dad, Starbucks' dad, was the one who somehow came up with it is really, really interesting to me. Um, And also the projection stuff, the way that uh, Boomer manipulates uh, Tyrrell through the projections, I I think is sci-fi-y. I actually gave it an 8. In addition to everything that you said, this idea of what happens to a culture where death was meaningless when all of a sudden they lose that power of resurrection and how quickly... They turned to capital punishment as a viable option. Mm-hmm. And not only something that they considered viable, but something they seemed a little eager, in my opinion, <laughs> to participate in. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> no disagreement. Yep. Uh, I, I also thought that the the whole idea of Kara, some, whatever she is, that she's getting some closure here with her father... I thought that was a nice science fiction-y touch of... Yeah, you know, we did really glance over that. There, There is an aspect to it that I actually do kind of like. Um, I, I disagree with you on the whole... Projection thing? Yeah. <laughs> but the the fact that there there is some closure, there's something happening inside of her that is 
allowing this to come through and at one area she you know the subconscious she recognizes it but at the conscious level she doesn't until she's presented with hey what are you playing over there on the piano and she's like oh there's no one here there's just me (laughs) oh um okay this is weird uh i that's that's nice television pete uh seven uh because and i have to do this I know that there is some stuff that's sort of goofy, but I, I have to do seven because I, it, I, I was forced to like Starbuck. Okay, a thing that I never thought was possible, <laughs> uh, and this episode managed to make me do it. I, I can't ignore that aspect. Sure, of it. Uh, I gave this a six. I did not find Starbuck as likable in this episode as you did, and I was a little bit annoyed, as I said earlier, about the the kind of the new agey hippie kind of mentality that was was espoused in it. Uh, I, I also just wanted to say that I just don't know what... I mean, I get... Okay, you're, you're Admiral Adama, and Boomer has got the kid. You're trying to stop her. What do you do? There's not a whole lot you can do, right, at this point. But shutting those pod doors, I don't think, should have ever been a viable option. <laughs> because... Clearly, at this point, Boomer's not going to hold back out of sympathy for humanity. She's not going to let that stop her FTL countdown. She, the only thing she cares about is getting that baby off the ship. And I, I felt like it was just a little weird that that was, what he, that was where he went to try and stop her somehow. I, I just didn't get it. Moving on to our next episode, Islanded in a Stream of Stars. Boomer has absconded back to Cabal with Hera. And Admiral Adama acknowledges a difficult truth. As a side note, this episode should have been called Bill's Women. Um, th- the title itself, since you mention it, I don't get. I don't either. But the, I think the, the, the idea of Bill's two women, Galactica and President Rosalind, mm-hmm. is played so strongly in this episode that they passed up a perfect opportunity to use that as a title. Mm. Um... Uh, go on. <laughs> I, was say, I just I got a laugh out of the opening sequence here of Hera playing with a toy Galactica destroying a base star. I thought that was kind of funny. Okay. Adama is sick of destiny <laughs> and very jaded uh, uh, about everything that's happened. He is. Not happy about. I've had it up to here with destiny. <laughs> the the life that has kind of been thrust upon him, and the decisions that he's had to make for various reasons, and it's reached boiling point for him, and he's extremely frustrated, extremely jaded about how everything has turned out. Uh, we see more evidence that the ship is ripping apart. And one of the crews, a six, uh, manages to save a human. After... Uh, he was a jerk. Yeah. Um, the the part of me wants this to be, oh, this is the first chance. Humans are turning around. <laughs> and uh, or this act right here yeah. is the thing that's going to turn... Humanity not, not around. She save him, but then she's like, "Seal the door. Don't try to save me. Lock the door and yep. let me get spaced." Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. It, 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 I, 
I'm just looking for that to to have come through a little bit more in this episode, but it doesn't seem like that was the real focus no. uh, of the episode. Th- thankfully, because I think that probably would have been pretty cheesy. Um, everyone seems to be getting in line to take parts of Galactica. Yeah. So the council is they're meeting over and, the course uh, before the bodies are saying, dead. "Hey, the, the, the ship can't last any longer." I want to have this thing off of Galactic. I'm getting in line. Well, you can have it as long as I get this thing. Yeah, because, again, the council's made up of the ships themselves. The people right. who are on board those ships, they are the ones who are now forming the council. And the, uh, Lee comes and says, No, under no circumstances is this even a discussion <laughs> here that when... Bill Ad- when Admiral Adama is ready to decide when this is done, that's when the decision will be yeah. made, not not by anything we decide. And then somebody says, well, what does Gaius Baltar say? And Lee is just absolutely <laughs> shocked. What? What do you mean, what does Gaius Baltar say about this? And it made me realize um, from a uh, biblical there was a, a reference uh, that I went to uh, biblically where the Jews had just gotten out of Egypt. They were finally freed. The thing that they were hoping for to, to get out of Egypt and they won't be slaves anymore. And they're out there and not long after being out there, they say, boy, at least in Egypt we would have had a, you know, three square meals to eat. This is, <laughs> boy, I wish I was back in Egypt now. I just thought, how, how can they think this? They, you know, just because they lost a couple other creature comforts, just because, you know, the, the their, whoever they're talking to right now isn't agreeing with their exact thing that they want, they decide, oh, well, wh- why don't we start listening to guys Baltar again? He's, he'll, he's the voice of reason around here. I think you're being a little harsh here. Because I don't think so. I'm not These saying, lunatics look, look, are look, trying look. to go back to Gaius. And don't, that's... You, don't mistake what I'm saying. I am not trying to defend their behavior here. But I think the one thing that is a difference in the, the corollary that you drew there is that in in the biblical example, the, the, the fear, the thing that was driving the, the murmuring, as it were, was the unknown. Right here, there is an absolute despondency. The one hope that they've been holding out for for four years has been ripped from their clutches. There's no hope at all. And in that aspect, I I think it's just I I just don't know that you're 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 expanding this far more than I would take. Okay, it's just this idea of hey, things are bad. Why can't we go back to the way things were? And that's what they're doing right okay. here by saying, well, what is Gaius Baltar? You've forgotten what Gaius Baltar <laughs> did to you. You've forgotten what Egypt was like for you. Okay. Don't forget that. Um, and I, I, I'm glad that they managed to get Jamie Bamber, the, the actor who plays Lee, to... Facially express this as well as he, <laughs> he did. He certainly did nail that scene. <laughs> um, so we have a belief in angels. Yeah. Gaius is, uh, it, after that quote, you know, what does Gaius Baltar say on the subject? It cuts away to Gaius Baltar, which I thought, 
is it's really good thing to do. That, yeah. That's pretty good. Um, and he's sharing another one of his sermons. Yep, philosophies of Gaius, <laughs> and he's talking about belief in angels, and he's doing this as he looks up and sees head six. Head six. I believe in angels. I've, I have, I've seen them. I have been led by angels yeah. through through this whole thing, um, which I, I'm. If I were to hear someone do this and talk about this, I would roll my eyes and say, "Oh, good grief! This um, lunatic here. This he is. <laughs> he's off the deep end." And I have to remind myself. I believe in angels. <laughs> As I say with the chagrin, I, I believe in angels. And uh, I, I should probably not get so judgmental about Gaius Baltar in his speech. Uh, I, I had to eat a, a little bit of humble pie okay. um, uh, there. Uh, uh, you know, he had an interesting line in there. I'm not going to comment on it. Just wanted to quote or paraphrase it, actually. Angels take the guise of those who are nearest and dearest to you and stick you back on the road to salvation. Hmm. That is a good line. And I believe in a more broader sense of definition, defining angels, that there other people can be angels to, to them. If you define angels as those who come along and help you yeah. with the, uh, you know, at that very time of need for you. So we see Boomer not being much of a parent here. <laughs> she's a terrible person. <laughs> she, terrible. Because <laughs> he's like, you know, I'm going to shoot you, shoot you up with this drug <laughs> and they don't come in kitty sizes. <laughs> it reminds me of a story. I don't know if I've shared this or not on the podcast, but my next door neighbor was very gruff cowboy-ish type person. Um, and he lived the next door with his wife um, and they, their grandson, who was a year younger than me. But we were very, very... He's younger than me. This kid was screwed up. Really screwed up. To the point where he's in prison now for murdering his grandmother. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, as a kid... I, they were watching me one day, the, this grandfather, and this creepy, screwed up kid, I mean, he was tormenting me to no end, put a rope around my neck, threatened me with some, something that he was like, oh, I could stab you with this here. Isn't that just how brothers interact with each other? <laughs> not brothers. Uh, <laughs> I know, but you know, I'm saying it's not, perfectly not normal, brothers. right? <laughs> And uh, to the point where I, I am in tears, I am bawling. Little kid, I am really I, like maybe six. He's five. Just to give you how screwed up this kid was. Um, the grandpa comes back and he's like starts yelling at me for bawling and crying, and then he starts hitting the grandson for <laughs> doing all of this stuff. Um, I that. <laughs> disregard that disconnect with a small child here I was like oh my gosh that's that's Mr. Lowe 
that that's exactly what he is. That's who Boomer is right now. He's just do, doesn't has no connection yeah. whatsoever, and just doesn't really seem to care about the emotional well-being of the children uh, around him. And uh, that's sad. That's really really sad. But I guess you know that's how screwed up Boomer kind of is. Well, it, it was tough for me watching this episode because earlier the night that we watched it. Uh, my my son was misbehaving. He was uh, interacting with the, with his mom and and was basically trying to push her buttons and succeeding. Yep. And I was around the corner, and I was I had taken my wallet out of my pocket. I was getting ready to put it down on the nightstand, and I heard this fight going on in the hall, and so I stepped around the corner and I thought. Just to get everybody's attention here, I'm going to throw my wallet, because it's a nice, big, hefty leather wallet. It's going to make a good slapping sound when it hits the wall, and I will have everyone's attention to interrupt what's happening here. And as I threw it, my son, just at that moment, stepped right into its path and hit him right in the eye. Nice. Big old shiner. Big old black eye. And I'm just thinking... I'm a horrible, horrible monster. <laughs> this is exactly the kind of crap that my dad did, although more <laughs> deliberate. Uh, you know, I mean, I wasn't trying to injure my son in any way. Uh, anyway, and and so then, you know, I, we have a conversation. I thought it was a, you know, I apologized, of course. I'm like, I'm sorry. I wasn't trying to hit you. I was just trying to get your attention, son. We talk about this. We We have... This conversation that I've had with my son many times. Now, admittedly, he's autistic. It's hard sometimes for him to process this stuff. He's crying, of course. You know, I mean, he just got hit in the face by a wallet <laughs> thrown pretty hard because <laughs> I was going for a loud sound effect. Um, so he goes downstairs to to get dressed for bed, and I'm sitting there and I'm just I'm feeling miserable. I just felt really really terrible, and so I go downstairs and I knock on his bedroom door, and he proceeds to give me through the door the same lip he was giving his mother a few moments earlier. And at this point, I just lost it. I lost my cool. I open the door, and I start shouting. And I'm just like, how on earth are you already back? We just had this conversation about the son. We just talked about this, and here you are right back in the same spot you were 30 seconds ago where it led to you getting this black eye. How are you back at this already? And as I'm as I'm standing there and, I, and I'm shouting at him, I'm I'm I, w- I wave my hands a lot when I talk. I gesticulate pretty wildly, even when I'm talking relatively calmly. I'm very active with my hands. It's a habit that I I, I acquired intentionally because somebody told me that the way I talk is too passive and I'm too laid back, and so I I started talking with my hands as a way to engage the listener a little bit. Whether that's been effective or not, I can't say. But so I'm waving my hands around wildly. And I just happen as I'm, as I'm pulling my hand down from a swipe in the air, he puts his hand up because I, I think he was afraid I was going to hit him, which I've never hit my son with a, with a fist. I know, I've spanked his bottom, but I've never hit him in the face with my hands. I have hit him in the face with my wallet, unfortunately, one time. Uh, anyway, so right as my hand is going past him, he puts his hand up and my fingernail catches just on the edge of his finger Ugh. and a big old blood blister. I mean, right away, instant, instant blood blister right on the tip of his finger. And of course, this sends him into absolute hysterics. He has, he's never had a blood blister before. He doesn't know how to handle this. He thinks he's dying. 
And so then I have to calm down. I have to calm him down. You know, pop the blood blister, put some Neosporin on it, put a Band-Aid on it. Everything gets calmed down. And I'm just sitting there thinking, ah, how terrible of a father I am. And then I watch this episode and I watch Boomer <laughs> treat Hera this way. And I just felt so miserable. <laughs> yeah. I totally see why you would feel that way. Horrible set of circumstances that led to <laughs> ridiculous accidents. Yeah. That now he'll tell stories about later on in life. The day his dad threw a wallet at his eye. <laughs> Gave him how, a black eye. How, what a terrible father he yep. is. Um, yeah. Uh, he'll probably not do that. <laughs> so Ty is sad and he only seems to want to help humans. He does not care about Cylons at all. And how, I would say more specifically, he wants to help what he considers his family. I think that if it were the rest of the fleet versus Galactica, he would just as readily be telling them, nah, you can all go to hell. I don't care. It's specifically these people I've served with, I've bled with, I've, I've given my life to this service. That is what I care about. Ellen helps turn him around a little bit and helps him see the Cylons as his children. Uh, there, there's also a scene in here where a, an eight is dying and he's in the sick bay and Doc Cottle says, look, would you just talk to this person? Just be with them for a little while. You can spare a couple of minutes while they're dying. And the eight says, you know, thank you so much. I've always wanted to meet my father. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of changes Ty a little bit. Uh, because yeah, he really didn't want anything to do with them at all. Starbuck gives her dog tags to Gaius for testing. <laughs> and I can't see where she thought this might have been going. But it's not going to work out well in the end. Um, ooh, we find Anders wakes up. And uh, <laughs> he's connected to the ship. Yeah, or at least to the the goop that they've been putting in, in the walls. Right, because he can't get to all the different areas, but there is enough of connection to lots of other subsystems that it kind of explains what's been going on here a little bit. And then they end up... Um, sorry, I jumped ahead there. Anyway, they, they unplug him again. Uh, Rosalind and Adama get high and talk about their feelings. <laughs> A interesting scene. If, is this if the like same joint that they smoked back on New Caprica? It must have been, I guess. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't even remember them smoking a joint, but why not? You don't remember them laying out under the stars. I remember them laying out under the stars. I don't. Remember you don't remember them lighting up? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Rosalind tells him that he needs to get off of Galactica uh, because it's it's falling apart. They he needs to move on from this, otherwise he's going to lose both of his women at the yeah. same time and he's not going to be able to cope with that well uh, then we have Anders uh, they find out is in control of parts of the ship uh, Gaius blows the lid on Starbuck uh, at the uh, funeral for all of the different things boy he really knows how to go in and make a ridiculous scene yeah. uh, Boomer returns to Cavill and it's fully finally revealed that it is part of a plan that was the the goal all along and 
Adama is a terrible painter. That is the worst way of painting a wall I have ever seen. That was awful. <laughs> I, like, I watched that scene and I thought, this is so weird. It's, it's like avant-garde film. Like, I don't, I just don't even understand what they were going for there. It never even occurred to me to just interpret that as a straight-up attempt to paint the wall. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he makes a right mess of it. I, I think he eventually gets done with painting that room, I guess. <laughs> we see it, you know, finally put back together a, a little bit. Well, um, that scene is so much better. <laughs> 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 you just choose to believe that's how... It, and, and he sits down and he's frustrated because this isn't working yet. <laughs> he's turning the paint. I know how to command ships in battle, but I don't know how to put paint on a wall. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, Ty shows up and uh, Adama talks to Ty and he admits that Galactica's done. And he starts to make plans for stripping down Galactica and abandoning the ship. Um, and uh, it's kind of a sad scene, but it, it's kind of nice. The, the two friends next to each other as they, you know, share this moment, have a drink. And, you know, it's uh, the, this is the end that, that, that's coming to Galactica. Um and uh, yeah, there we go. Uh, there's this moment where Lee is talking to Kara, and he's talking about how, hey, I don't care what Gaius Baltar says. I don't care what you think you found down on Earth. You're here. You're real. You're the Carathrace. And he reaches out to touch her face. And I so wanted his hand to pass through her. <laughs> like, she were all, like, I wanted it so bad, Pete. It's like, that would be just the most fantastic thing to have happen right now. Um, uh, I, I just thought it was interesting. It never even occurred to me that what Cavill wants here is to clone Hera. But he says, oh, it's going to be okay. Pretty soon you'll have plenty of little playmates. So I think that's the indication that we're given here is that that's what he's going for. He wants to clone the Humanalon. Sure seems that way. And uh, to be continued... I, I'm not sure how you do that without the resurrection ship, but I, 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 don't know. I, I, I expect I we'll get... I think that, uh, you know, they're pretty advanced. <laughs> it's possible that they might have that cloning technology. Maybe. Not saying it's perfect, not saying it is what it is, but, I mean, it's... They're flying around through space. Can they not manage to copy yeah. genetic material? Okay. Who knows? Who uh, knows? I, I was personally really deeply touched by Hilo's appeal to Admiral Adama. Please, sir, just give me a, a, a raptor. Let me do... I need to do something. Let me go out and... And the, the struggle that Adama is going through to say... Look, man, I, I understand where you're coming from, but I cannot say yes. I cannot condone the suicide mission that you want to go on. Uh, I just I, I thought that scene was well played by both actors, and it was a nice touch, I think, to write it into the episode. That was okay. Uh, the other thing I just wanted to talk about, and I can't remember, I, was it Gaius Baltar who had the line, All we need is the courage to embrace death? Uh, I, don't I think remember. it maybe. I, I think it was. I think it was something Gaius said when they were doing the funeral, and he uh -huh. he outs Kara, so to speak. Um, but it it reminded me a little bit. Now I can't remember if I've mentioned this before on the podcast. If I have, I apologize for beating a dead horse. 
But it reminded me of this uh, website called ferretbrain.com where one of these guys, he reviewed Harry Potter as a series. And I'm not going to promote people going out and reading the site because the guy likes the F word. Uh, I think at one point he uses it like four times in a row as though that's somehow going to provide additional emphasis to the sentence that he's trying to put forward. Anyway, it's he's pretty profane, but he does make some points about Harry Potter that I really liked. And one of them that he talks about is, uh, and I'm just going to read this paragraph from his site because I think it encapsulates it better than I could trying to restate it. J.K. Rowling seems to view courage as the quality which allows you to accept the world as you find it. Now, if we are talking about things which were genuinely beyond our control, that would be one thing. But Potter is the hero, the protagonist of the stories, and is supposed to be able to change the world. Harry goes willingly to his death not to protect anybody, not to save the world, not to destroy Voldemort, but because somebody told him he was meant to. It's pathetic. But in the afterlife, Dumbledore heaps praise upon him and tells him that he has become the true master of death because he killed himself upon instruction. Uh, that right there, that that is the, the like I thought of this review of Harry Potter when I heard that line. Well, all we really need is the courage to embrace death. And I just thought oh, that's such a such a terrible thing to go around telling people. Um, I don't have any comment on okay. what you just said there. Um, any other stuff from you, though, before we get to listeners? No. Okay, we'll hit up, uh, finish off here with uh, Mark. He says, another title for this episode is There's a Hole in My Bucket. Because <laughs> Sam sings that. Uh, the big question here is how long, um... Well, wait, Sam sings that? Yeah. When Sam is plugged into the network, he's saying, yeah, there's a hole yeah, in my bucket, yeah. dear Liza, dear Liza. But yeah. there's also, there's literally a hole in the bucket, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah. great. I just, uh, yeah, when I think of that, I think of the song. I was like, when did that happen? But you're right. It was Anders who uh, who did that. Uh, the big question here is how long do you stay on a ship that is falling apart instead of abandoning ship and salvaging the remnants? The fleet is no worse off with the rebel Cylon base star to protect it. The Cylon ship even regenerates itself. Starbuck should have helped out the fleet and killed Anders when she had the chance. <laughs> TV7, Sci-Fi 8. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I disagree. I, I really strongly disagree with Mark here. The, 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 the ship seems to do so much with it. It seems like it's probably one of the biggest it's the thing that can protect them it's the thing that is cleaning their water you know i i, I feel like it's it's doing quite a lot more and than even if really you take all of those things away the ship is a symbol and that symbology is so important to the fleet at this point that i think that just the symbology of what galactica represents is important it's holding the alliance together. You lose that symbol, and I think the whole thing threatens to fall apart. Okay. Let me hurry and finish off uh, um, Brainy's questions here, because 2% about battery. Uh, welcome to Adventures of Facehole and Robo Girl. <laughs> Good times in a raptor. 
I didn't get to rewatch this one, but it's written by Michael Taylor. He wrote the Adama punching Chief in the face episode. Okay. Same dude wrote DS9's Hallowed The Visitor and In the Pale Moonlight. Also wrote Voyager's The Fight. So he is either really sweet or gag awful. I can't rate this one yet, but on to finale. Some questions for Joey. Yay. Why is Starbucks special? What's up with her crazy finger-breaking mother? I'm, I'm just going to write these down and answer them after you get them all out. Um, now tell us the big reveal in the finale about what she is. I already said what I think she is. I think she's a silent projection. Wait, are you typing them down or are yes. you... <laughs> but I can answer that one quickly. Okay. I'm worried about you losing your battery before we get all the questions up. What did you think of Sherlock Series 3? Are we covering it next? Yes, yes we are. Yes, we are. Well, the the game first, board game first, and then Sherlock Series 3. Yeah, but we're covering Sherlock That's the next TV thing we're going to do. Did you hear Neil deGrasse Tyson interviewing God recently on his podcast? <laughs> do you think God exists in this series? Uh, no and yes. Is there a parallel with Gaius and Paul, writers of epistle, of epistles? Are we covering Rev Space next podcast yes. or the following? Next podcast. Okay. Um, so, do you want to start back up at the top there? Yeah, so I, I, the ones I didn't answer yet are, uh, why is Starbucks special? What's up with her crazy finger-breaking mother? Sherlock, what I think of Sherlock Series 3. And uh, correlate Gaius and Paul, writers of epistles. Uh, so, I'll take the first one last. <laughs> um, Gaius and Gaius and Paul. There's, it's actually I hadn't considered it before, but I can see a lot of correlation between the two. Uh, you know, th there's the the vision that Paul has on the road to Damascus, right before he even becomes Paul. That that changes him as a person, and it's the appearance of Head Six in Gaius's life that really provides the motive power for him to stop being just kind of a, a leech on society albeit a brilliant one which time i'm talking about the first time he ever sees head six uh when he's trying to get on the on to boomer's raptor okay. back on caprica um, up to that point i think we would have described gaius as almost like a write-off character he, he didn't seem like he was going to be around in the show for a while based on the kind of person that he was i would not have expected him to stick around but seeing that angel, angelic being that he's now come to identify her as changed him as a person where he started to believe that he belonged in the power structure. Let's put it that way. I, these are your comments, yep. so go ahead. That, that's all I was going to say about that. I, I, I see a strong correlation between that and Saul's journey to Damascus. Or he became Paul. He, he didn't change. <laughs> he was still selfish, horrible, awful Gaius who was out for himself. And he weaseled his way into a position of power. 
Okay. Thanks for your comments, Pete. <laughs> Next question you uh, want to answer. Um, Sherlock Series 3 was fantastic. I super enjoyed it. I personally feel like they should just end it here and not make a Series 4. I'll say this. It was okay. I really liked it. I enjoyed it. It was okay. Didn't think it was better than Series 2, but I thought it was better than Series 1. Okay. Uh, why is Starbucks special? I don't have an answer to this one. Because everyone wants her to be. <laughs> is that a valid answer? <laughs> I'm not going to say no. Maybe it's maybe it's a, a Lost Season 6 kind of thing where it's like, the character doesn't matter. It's the connections that she made, and the and the connect the the attraction, or compassion, love, whatever that people felt towards her, that made her important. It's not anything inherent to Starbuck. It's the way that other people responded to Starbuck that made her matter. Okay, I, I can see that. I can I can see that connection. Her mother is a little bit simpler for me. Uh, I can. I can look at her mother and say, yep, I know that person. Uh, and it's uh, the easiest way to, to put it in a nutshell is damaged goods, man. Uh, you know, she, she was a broken person. And so she raised a broken thing. Okay. Any other questions on there that uh, needed to be? Nope, that was it. Okay. Um, science fiction, Joey. <sighs> Science fiction. I gave it... I, I kept going back and forth between a 7 and an 8, and I landed on a 7, I think, in the end. Um, mostly for this concept of Bill's love of his ship. That, like, I, I guess, like, I, I knew that he had personified the ship, but having it be drawn that starkly... I think it was a, a very cool science fiction-y thing to say, oh, I, I kind of have to choose now between my ship and my human love. Uh, because if I leave everyone here, then we're all going to die, and, and that'll be the end of it. Uh, I gave it to seven. I, I felt pretty confident with with all of that, the Anders being plugged in and able to control portions of the ship because of the goo. Uh, that had been used in there, um, and uh, yeah, I, there there were a few other things um, that uh, I, I'm blanking on right now. But uh, yeah, seven. Oh, you know what? The other thing that we didn't even really talk about was the colony ship. That's kind of cool. It looked super awesome. Yeah, didn't see much of it, but what we did see looked, looked pretty, pretty awesome. Cool. Yeah. Uh, television. I'm giving this a nine, and mostly because of Edward James Olmos's performance here. I just the the torment that that guy goes through in this one episode. It's been building, right? We've been coming to this breaking point for a long time now. It's here, and man, that guy does emotional anguish like very few actors that are around today. I disagree slightly. I give it a seven. Um, it seems like the next most recent emotional breakdown for him. He seems to have a lot of them. There's a lot of ups and downs for him. And he's like, no, we're not going to do this. Okay, all right, we're going to do this. <laughs> no, we're not going to do this. Okay, we're going to go do this now. 
Um, so it's just par for the course. I liked the episode. I thought it was good. Again, I liked Starbuck, um, which is bizarre. So, yeah, I got to give it uh, props for that. Well, that brings us to the end of another podcast. We hope that you've been inspired to take a deeper look at your entertainment choices and discuss it with friends, family, or just a couple of complete strangers you only know from the internet. As always, we invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. You can tweet Pete at trekwest5, or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 801-508-4242. So until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And we thank you for listening. Thank you.